there's an old saying that says not everything is as it appears to be, and we certainly could file this story under that heading. A preacher visits an elderly woman from his congregation, and as he sits on the couch to visit with her, he notices a huge bowl of peanuts. And he's a little hungry. He says, hey, do you mind if I eat some of these peanuts while we visit together a little bit? She said, absolutely not. You, you eat as many as you would like. And so they sit there, and the time passes, and they begin to chat for about an hour. And as he stands up to leave, embarrassed, he realizes he's eaten almost the entire bowl of peanuts. He's mortified. And so he stands up. He says, I am so sorry. I'm embarrassed. Uh, I've eaten almost all of your peanuts. I am so, so sorry. The woman said, oh, she said, it's all right, the woman said. She said, ever since I lost my teeth, all I can do is suck the chocolate off of them. It's totally fine. <laughs> Not everything is, you'll never eat peanuts again, will you? Never. Not everything is as it appears, and that is true when it comes to spiritual matters as well. Uh, and so sometimes you may think you're on the right path spiritually, only to find out later you're actually on the wrong path according to the Bible. So let me invite you to take your Bibles or your tablet or your phone, whatever you have, and turn with me to John chapter 3 this morning for a message titled, The Road Less Traveled. Uh, in John chapter 3, we're going to drop in on a nighttime conversation uh, where a person who by all accounts appears to be on the right road spiritually has an encounter with Jesus and finds out that in fact he is not on the right path spiritually. And Jesus is the perfect mixture of grace and truth. And so Jesus clearly but compassionately lets him know that he is on the wrong path. And so Jesus begins to share that with him. And the path that this man is on is the path of religion. And Jesus tells him in this passage, you've taken a wrong turn and you invites him to take the road less traveled. So let's look at John chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 down through verse 9 this morning. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sounds of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And then incredulously, Nicodemus says this in verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Uh, this is an incredible uh, exchange. Nicodemus was, by all accounts, a deeply religious person. He was a deeply moral person. He had spent the majority of his life trying to live out the Mosaic Law and all of its teachings. He had tried to help others uh, from his own perspective, try to live out all the teachings under the Mosaic Laws. And astonishingly, Jesus says, hey, you're on the wrong path. And so in verse 9, he asks this question, how can these things be? How is this even possible? I've spent my life trying to learn this, and I thought all along I was on the right path. And so, but you say I have to be born again. How can this be? How does this even work? And so this morning, if I were to ask you and say, hey, who's the most religious person you, would, uh, you can think of in your whole life, in your circle of influence? Right now, some of you, a name would come to mind. Some of you would say, what's Pastor Brad? I didn't say the most handsome. I said the most religious, all right? And you would say, oh, this person's so religious. Like when I think of them, they're a religious person. Everybody that talks about them knows they're a religious person. Here's the deal. I don't care who that person is. Nicodemus was far more religious than whoever it is that comes to your mind when you think of a religious person. And honestly, it wasn't even close. 
He was deeply uh, devoted. And despite this reality, though, Jesus, in this passage, dismantles every hope of religion when it comes to eternal life. And in doing so in this exchange, Jesus teaches us simply that the path of religious morality will not get you to heaven. He has this exchange with this moral, deeply religious person, and Jesus just clearly says, hey, this is not going to work. Religion does not save anyone. A little boy was visiting his grandparents, and there at his grandparents' house, he found on the coffee table a huge family Bible. And fascinated, he said all the names of when people were born, and when they got married, and when they died, and when they were baptized. And he's flipping through this family Bible, just fascinated. But suddenly, as he's flipping the pages in the family Bible, uh, something falls out. And so he picks it up off the ground, holds it up, and says, Mama, it was a leaf. She said, what did you find there? What, what exactly is that? And he said, it's a leaf. And she said, uh, do you think it's just, he said, no, no, it's not just with astonishment in his voice. The boy answered, I just found Adam's underwear. And so you're like, I don't even know what that means, right? Uh, so here's the deal. In Adam and Eve, in that story in Genesis chapter 3, that's the first recorded instance of religion. They came to the realization they had sinned against God. Shame overwhelmed them. Instead of running to God and saying, God, we've sinned, would you forgive us? Would your grace wash over us? They said, you know what? We're going to fix this. We're going to get some fig leaves and we're going to fix this. We're going to hide our shame. We're going to fix what's broken between us and God. And that is the first recorded instance of religion. Religion is man trying to fix what's broken between him and God. It's trying to earn the favor of God with morality and religious deeds and all of these things. And that's the first recorded instance, and that actually is the path that Nicodemus is on. Here's what's interesting in the Bible. There are multiple accounts of people who are immoral coming to Christ for salvation. You think of the woman at the well, you think of tax collectors, you think of all these people who are on the outsides of, of society, on the margins, living openly immoral lives, and they find salvation. You know why? Because they acknowledge they're broken and need of forgiveness. They know that somehow their life is not going to earn the favor of God. It was the religious people in their culture, people like Nicodemus and the Pharisees and all these people, they're the ones who had a hard time finding salvation because here's why. They assumed they didn't need it. They assumed they were totally fine with God, that their moral life and their religious activity and their studying the law and all those things, that they had come to the place where religion had trapped them. They were blind to their own sins and self-righteousness. And my experience is this, is that people who have no knowledge of their sin see no need for a Savior like Jesus. That's where Nicodemus was. He's all religiously elite, and he was on the path of religion. How do we know that? Because verse 1 says, look at verse 1 again. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So Nicodemus was a Jew by birth. They were God's chosen people. And so he thought, hey, I'm fine. My family tree, I'm good. My background, I'm totally fine. But not only was he a Jew, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was a teacher. But not only was he a Pharisee, he was a part of the ruling group of Pharisees known as the Sanhedrin. 71 people, Pharisees and Sadducees coming together, overseeing all this. So if there's anyone who would have said, hey, listen, I'm deeply religious. I'm Jewish by birth. I'm a Pharisee. I've studied the law. Not only that, I'm the ruling class of the Sanhedrin. Verse 10 goes on to tell us he actually was the, the teacher over all all of Israel, here's a guy that if we can make the case that religion saves you, here's a guy that's exhibit A. But yet he comes to Jesus at nighttime and Jesus says, hey, listen, I know all of those things. I'm familiar with the crowd you run with. I know what you stand for. I know what you teach. And despite all of your religious resume, Nicodemus, here's the deal. You must be born again. Nicodemus was trapped in religion. 
hoping that his outward morality, hoping that his religious affiliation somehow would earn his favor with God. And my guess this morning is that some of you find yourselves in the same trap, hoping that your good outweighs your bad, hoping that the fact you're born to a Christian family makes you good with God, hoping by the fact that you believe in some things that you've earned God's favor. And that's exactly uh, where Nicodemus finds himself. The Pharisees were a group that were so strict. The word Pharisee, it actually means to separate, and that's what they loved. They would come in contact with people. They said, hey, here's all the laws, and we're going to add to it. Here's the way you live out these commands. And they said, because we can live at this elite spiritual level, we're going to actually separate ourselves from the common man. And in doing so, surely God will look down at our life and go, oh, I'm so impressed, and welcome into my family, right? Not only on top of that, they made sure uh, that they would uh, go around and police other people to make sure they were doing the right things. If you ever heard people make this claim and say, well, religion is just a list of do's and don'ts. Listen, the Pharisees, that was true, and they were proud of it. They lived by the do's and don'ts. They walked around, tried to enforce who else lived by the do's and don'ts. Is it just me, or does this sound like a great group of guys to party with? Amen? But here's the deal. As hard as we can be on him, uh, you would have wanted Pharisees to be your neighbor. They never were rowdy. Their kids never rode their camel through your yard. There was never any weeds in their flower garden. You would have wanted them uh, to be in your church. They were concerned with holiness. They were devout. They were very committed to tithing. You know how Baptists feel about that, right? They knew their Bible. They fasted. They wanted to live according to the law of Moses. But here's the thing. What they were pursuing was salvation in themselves. That somehow if I can just get all these spiritual and moral credits into my account, then one day I'll stand before God. He'll look at my resume, a Jew, a Pharisee, a Sanhedrin, a keeper of the law, a teacher of the law. And surely when God sees my resume, I'll earn his favor. And Jesus has an encounter with this man. And he says, Nicodemus, here's the deal. All those things I know about you, verse 1, verse 2, all those things. But it does not change the fact, Nicodemus, you must be born again. So what he says in verse 3, and then again in verse 7, you're on the wrong path, Nicodemus. To quote the great hymn writers, ACDC, Nicodemus was on the highway to hell, and he didn't even realize it, amen? Some of you like, that's my favorite hymn. We're going to sing that at the end. I just want to share that, all right? Cross is going to explode into fire. I've got a t-shirt. I just, maybe I have an ACDC t-shirt. I had one when I was younger. It's a crop top. It was awesome. I just want to say that, all right? Some of you are like, I'm not hungry. I don't feel hungry right now. But that's the path Nicodemus was on. And can you imagine his astonishment to encounter Jesus in this nighttime conversation? Jesus says, hey, listen, you're on the wrong path. And Nicodemus, I am the road less traveled, but you must be born again if you want to get on this road. And Nicodemus found out he actually was trapped in religion. He had been fooled by that. Can you imagine standing before God one day with all of this spiritual resume, all this morality in your life, all of these religious activities, all of this religious affiliation, born into a spiritual or religious family, only to stand before God one day and God to say, despite all of those credentials, I'm sorry, I don't know you. But the Bible says that's exactly what will happen. 
Matthew chapter 7 says this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws, and will protest. But God, I repeated that prayer at VBS or youth camp or at the end of that revival service. They said, pray this prayer if you want to go to heaven. And I prayed that prayer. God, I walked forward at the end of a service. They told me to come forward. And so I went forward. I got baptized. I got confirmed. I joined that church. All those things. But the reality is all of those things are being trapped in religion. Because the danger of religion is this. Is when you trust in something or some event or some experience instead of trusting in someone whose name is Jesus. And Nicodemus was trusting in all of his religious activity, all of his morality, all of his religious credentials. And Jesus looks him square in the face and says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, if we just be honest, like if we were Nicodemus living the life that he had lived, then standing before God, we think, you know what, I'm cool. Like if anyone's good with God, it's me. I'm religious. I'm active. I'm doing all these things. But Nicodemus knew, despite all of his religious activity, despite all of his credentials, that something was missing on the inside. How do we know that? Because look at verse 2. What does it say? Verse 1 describes him as a part of the elite spiritual class, a Pharisee, a Jew, a Sanhedrin member. Verse 2 says this, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Now why did Nicodemus seek out Jesus? Because he knew that something on the inside was not right. Despite all of his morality, all of his religious credentials, something's not right on the inside. So he goes to a nighttime meeting with Jesus. And Jesus, listen, I've spent my whole life teaching about God, trying to live for God, trying to make sure other people live for God, teaching people about God. But Jesus, here's what I know. You're a teacher. Now, here's what I want you to, you don't see this in the text. For a uh, Sanhedrin member to come to a Galilean carpenter, uh, informally educated, and come to him and to recognize and say, hey, listen, I know that you're from God. I know that you're a teacher, a term of respect. And this guy, Nicodemus, is the greatest teacher in all of Israel, according to verse 3. It says he is the teacher of Israel, but yet he knows something is missing on the inside. And my guess this morning is that's where some of you find yourself. Yes, there's morality in your life, and yes, there's some religious credentials in your life, but something is missing on the inside, and Nicodemus must have felt it in his life because he sought Jesus out despite all of his religious activity on the outside. So so here's a question. How does a guy like Nicodemus run after religion and miss Jesus in the process? Here's a better question. How do people still do that today? Let me offer up a quick suggestion based on the text. What happens is this, is we confuse acknowledgement uh, for allegiance. We confuse those things. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've had conversations with people who uh, give little evidence of a life pursuing obedience to Jesus, but they have no problem claiming, Pastor, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe in those things he did on the cross. I believe that he was buried. I believe in Easter. All those things. I believe everything the Bible says. I believe in Jesus. Now, if you're listening, say amen. There's a difference between believing that the gospel is true and actually holding it as treasure. 
There's a huge difference between those things. And Nicodemus here, listen, he was totally acknowledging who Jesus was. Rabbi, term of respect, one teacher or another, the greatest teacher coming to a Galilean carpenter, calling him rabbi. I acknowledge you're an incredible teacher. I acknowledge that the things you do, no one can do those unless they're coming from God himself. I acknowledge all of these things, but there was a difference between acknowledging who Jesus was and allegiance to Jesus and surrendering his life. And Nicodemus is not there yet. And my guess is some of you are not there either. You would openly acknowledge belief in Jesus. You would openly agree with everything the Bible teaches. You would openly say, I believe in Jesus, but are you following him with your life? And so let me tell you this morning, Two ways to miss Jesus this Easter. Number one is what I call the Switzerland syndrome. Over the years, I've discussed spiritual matters with hundreds and hundreds of people. And when it comes to spiritual matters, what I found is this, is that some people are quick to fly the Swiss flag. Swiss neutrality is one of the main principles of Switzerland's foreign policy, which dictates that Switzerland is not to be involved in any armed conflicts with other states. Switzerland has the oldest policy, uh, policy of military neutrality in the entire world. Listen to this stat. Uh, the Swiss have not participated in a foreign war since uh, the Treaty of Paris was established in 1815. And so when war breaks out, they just fly their flag and go, hey, you guys want to fight? That's totally fine. Uh, we're going to over here drink hot chocolate and eat cheese, right? Only thing I knew from Switzerland off the top of my head. And you know that same principle is true for some people spiritually? And they would say things like this, I'm not the most religious person by any means, but I'm not against Jesus. I'm not pursuing him with my life. There's no evidence or little evidence of obedience in my life. Well, listen, I, I, Jesus and I, are, I'm totally cool with Jesus. You remember several years ago when those shirts came out and people went and said, Jesus is my homeboy? Remember that? Listen, Jesus didn't give his life on the cross and be raised from the dead the third day and the tomb is empty so that Jesus could be anyone's homeboy this morning, all right? He's interested in being your Lord and Savior, but not your homeboy. And so this idea that I can come before and I'm not, I'm not pursuing Jesus and I'm not super religious, but I'm not against Jesus. As a matter of fact, I believe, I agree with all those things the Bible says about him. And so what they're doing, whether they realize or not, is they're flying the Swiss flag and say, when it comes to spiritual matters, I'm not religious, but I'm not against Jesus. I'm, but me and God are totally fine. Now, here's the problem with that. Look at verse 18, what it says. He's having a conversation with Nicodemus. Was Nicodemus for God? Yes. Was the group he was with actively campaigning against Jesus? Yes. Was he open to Jesus? Yes. By evidence that he sought him out. But here are the options in verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18 gives two options. Number one, he who believed in him is not condemned. There's option one. He who believed in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Now, we, we don't like that, do we? But, but here's the deal. When you look at this in verse 18, uh, there's only uh, two options here. He says, hey, listen, you can either be condemned or not condemned. Th those are the only two options that Jesus gives here in verse 18. There is no flag of Switzerland flying in heaven today where people say, I'm not religious, but I'm not openly pursuing Jesus. I'm just in the middle, and that's fine with God. No, he says, you're either condemned or not condemned. Because here's the deal. Every person in the room this morning is guilty before God, me included. The Bible says this, all have sinned and fallen 
fallen short of the glory of God. And so the reality is it's not whether you're here and you're guilty. Listen, every person in the room, me included, is guilty. So the question is not, are you guilty? The answer is yes. The question is, are you guilty and condemned or guilty and pardoned? That when Christ looks at your life and says, yes, you're guilty, but I'm going to pardon you from the penalty and the power of sin. There is no Swiss flag flying in heaven today. In verse 18, from the mouth of Jesus himself, he says, you're either condemned or not. That's it. When you look at the Gospels, Jesus gives people the option of radical commitment or no commitment, but never marginal commitment. And so he's asking Nicodemus, he says, hey, listen. Do you want to continue to pursue religion or do you want to be born again? Do you want to be guilty and condemned or do you want to be guilty but pardoned as a result of that? And so you can miss Jesus this Easter by trying to fly the Swiss flag and say, hey, I'm not religious, but I'm not against God either. But also the second way you can miss Jesus this Easter is just believing in Jesus. You know the majority of people in our culture, believe in Jesus? And you look at the media and you hear all the reports and you think, well, there's just this group of people, they call them the religious nuns, they're just exploding in, in population. But here's the reality, here's stats that are two years old from the Gallup poll uh, in, in our culture, and here's the stats, what they say. 89% of Americans still believe in God, 89% of that, uh, 75% of Americans identify with a Christian religion. 75% would identify in some way, shape, or oh yes, I'm a Christian, I, I go to church occasionally, or I was born into a Christian family, or my family's always been Christians, and so, so I don't consider myself really religious, but if I were, uh, it would be a Christian type of church or denomination, or whatever the case is, 75%. But here's the reality. Only 37% of those people would describe themselves as being born again. Now, do you see the problem with that? The problem with that stat is in verse 3. What does verse 3 said? Jesus answered and said to him, to who? To the most religious person you've ever met. To the most morally upright person you've ever met. To the most knowledgeable, gifted teacher you've ever met. This is who he says it to. And in verse 3, Jesus says this, uh, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is trapped in religion and Jesus exposes it. He says, I don't care that you're a Jew and who your family is. I don't care that you're a Pharisee and you know the Bible. I don't even care that you're a member of the Sanhedrin. You're in charge spiritually policing what other people do. Unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, did Nicodemus believe in Jesus intellectually? Of course. He's having a conversation with him. And you say, but Brad, when I read through this passage and like verse 16, doesn't it say I should just believe? Doesn't it say in verse 18 I should just believe? And so, uh, so what exactly does that mean? Here's the problem. When we look at verses 16 and 18, we divorce it from the context in which it was written. Uh, verses 16 and 18 fall into a long answer that Jesus is giving in verse 11 uh, all the way down to the end of chapter 3. It's, a, it's an answer to a question. And the question he's giving an answer to is in verse 9 when Nicodemus says, how can this be? How can what be that Jesus explained to him about being born again in verses 5 through 8? Why was he explaining that? Because in verse 3, he just told him, you must be born again. And so when he talks about believing in verses 16 and 18, he's, it's a reference to a long answer he's giving to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, I know you're religious. 
I know you're moral. I know you know your Bible. I know that you fast. I know you pray. I know you do all of those things. But Nicodemus, until you come to a place where you believe in your need to be born again and that a man can be born again, Nicodemus, you're on the wrong path. And so that's what he describes in these verses, being born again, which you repent of your sins and trust Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. Believing in Jesus intellectually or historically will not get you to heaven. Being born again will. And just like there's a time when you experience physical birth, there's a time when you experience spiritual birth. Look at verse 6. What's he say? He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. In other words, Nicodemus, do you have a birthday? Now, if you're here this morning, you have a birthday, would you raise your hand? Some of your hands are not raised. I don't even know what that means, all right? You're a miracle. Congratulations. <laughs> and so he says, Nicodemus, do you have a birthday? Yeah, I was, you know, born, who's born of flesh? I get that. He says, that which is born of flesh physically and that which is born of the spirit, have you been born again? And he begins to draw this divide in Nicodemus' life. And the astonishing thing to Nicodemus was this. Being a Jew, he thought just the fact that he had a birthday, a physical birth, he was good with God. But God, I, I, I'm Jewish, Jesus. I'm Jewish. We're God's chosen people. I'm totally fine. And Jesus begins to tell him and teach him, listen, it doesn't matter what your family tree is. I don't care that you were born into a spiritual family. I don't care that you know your Bible. I don't care that you've involved yourself in religious activity. I don't care the most moral person in all of culture, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And if you're here this morning and you're trusting in your good life and your religious works and your religious activity and the fact that you believe in Jesus intellectually, all those things, then guess what? You're on the same path. You're trapped in religion. You're trying to save yourself. You're trying to earn enough credits where you stand before God one day and say, God, look at this resume. Look at all this morality. I try to be a good person. Look at this religious activity. Remember that time I went forward, I prayed that prayer, I got baptized. Lord, look at all these credentials trapped in religion. Let me ask you a question this morning. Can you be a Christian and not love Jesus? Of course not. You can't be a Christian and not love Jesus. You say, well, how do you know you really love Jesus? Here's what the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. If you're listening, say amen. Listen, heaven is not a place for people who don't want to go to hell. Heaven is a place for people who love God and their life shows evidence of a love for God. And so the reality is this, being religiously active is not enough. Being moral is not enough. Listen, Jesus told to his face the most religious person you've ever met, the most moral person you've ever met, it's not good enough. Listen, you'll never accumulate enough religious experiences. You'll never be righteous enough in your own human efforts. You'll never be moral enough. You'll never do enough good. You're never going to be good enough to earn the favor of God. That's the bad news. But the good news is this, is that Jesus was great enough for everyone in the room this morning. And God looked at his life and said, hey, it's exciting. Accepted. And because of that, I'm going to raise him from the dead. You will never be good enough, but Jesus was great enough to save everyone in the room this morning. That's the beauty of the gospel. And if you're trusting in anything other than Jesus, it's not enough. If you're trusting in anything, if you're trusting in your own life, listen, you're trying to save yourself. 
and you've fallen into the trap of religion just like Nicodemus had. But Jesus, I've done all these things. Doesn't matter, Nick. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. But Jesus, I was born into a spiritual family. Doesn't matter, Nick. Unless you've been born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus, I'm incredible, I'm a good, I'm moral, doesn't matter, Nick, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And if you want to find what Nicodemus found, you must do what Nicodemus did. And so what did Nicodemus do, according to this passage, number one, he admitted his need. He admitted his need, he realized that something was missing in his own life spiritually, and if something were not missing, he would have not sought Jesus out in this nighttime conversation. He said, yes, there's all these religious credentials, but something is missing on the inside. And so he sought Jesus out, acknowledging there's something missing. I need something more than what I have. Not only admitted his need, but he came to Jesus personally. Listen, this guy could have sent a delegate. He could have said, hey, I'm a part of the Sanhedrin. And so why don't you go over there and, and tell Jesus that I'm interested because he's done some really cool stuff and, and he's creating a buzz and people are, go, go find out, tell him I'm interested in learning more. Go tell him that I'm an incredible teacher of the law. Go tell him that I've been a Jew since birth, I'm God's child. Go tell him all these things. Listen, he could have sent, he could have inquired, he could have sent people, but he came to Jesus personally recognizing I have a need and sought him out. Listen, you'll never be saved based on your family tree. You'll never be saved on someone else's behalf. You have to come to Jesus personally like Nicodemus did. He admitted his need and sought Jesus out. He came to Jesus personally. And thirdly is this, he trusted Christ completely. He said, where's that at in the, in the text? Well, we don't see it in the text, but here's what's interesting. Here's the guy who arranges a nighttime meeting with Jesus in the dark. And the next time we see mention of Nicodemus in the Bible is in John chapter 19 when he's found with Joseph of Arimathea taking down the body of Jesus from the cross. Here's a guy who in the dark says, I'm not totally sure about this. I thought I was good. You're telling me I'm not good. I'm not totally sure. Here's a guy who all of a sudden identifies with Jesus publicly by taking down his body from the cross. In the last stanza of his famous poem, The Road Not Taken, Robert Frost writes these words. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. You know, here's the odd thing. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are gonna be sitting inside of churches today. But according to those stats I shared early, Jesus is still the road less traveled. That the road most often travels the road of religion. The road most often travels the road of morality. The road most often traveled is somehow with a good life and some belief, I'll save myself somehow by acknowledging Jesus and agreeing that who he was intellectually, historically, that somehow I'll get on this path. But the Bible says this, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You see, here's the reality. Jesus is still the road less traveled. And in this nighttime exchange, Nicodemus comes to a fork in the road. 
where some of you find yourself today. And Jesus said, hey, Nick, I appreciate all those things about your life. But Nick, you can choose religion or you can choose me, but you cannot choose both. And it's your choices, not chance, that determines your eternal destiny. Here's the good news, though. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, you know what that means? That means you. You say, oh, you don't, you don't know where I've been? You don't know what I've done? You don't know who I've been around? And you may be sitting there condemning yourself this morning. But the Bible says this, that whosoever believes in him, trusts in him, places their allegiance in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I can't think of a better Sunday to receive that gift than Easter.